we're kicking off a brand new series for the Christmas season, and it's called um, Christmas is Not Canceled. And we thought it was an appropriate title for a series that we wanted to preach the, this, the next couple of weeks leading up to the Christmas Eve services, that Christmas is not canceled. Not the Christmas party in particular, but Christmas itself. The Christmas spirit, the spirit of Christmas is not canceled. Amen? Amen? They can put regulations on us. They can say all kinds of things. They can, they, can, they can pull back on this and pull back on that. But listen to me today. Christmas is not canceled. It's not canceled. And today, so we're going to take a couple of topics and talk about how they're not canceled during this Christmas season and because of the year that we're going through. And today, the title of my message is, My Joy is Not Canceled. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says this, Jesus said, or it says this, it says, the angels reassured them, do not be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy or bring great joy to all people. The angel said, I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. So the angel came with the good news that brought the great joy for all the people. You see in this? It's come. The joy has come. And so at this point, God was silent for about 400 years. No miracles had happened. No prophecies. No, no great moves of God happened. 400 years. These people were in a desperate place. If anybody in the world needed joy, these guys needed some joy. I feel the same can be said for us today. After the year that we've been through. By the way, there's several more weeks before the year's over with. And if you're hoping that 2021, the day it turns 2021, is going to be different, you may have to apply this message even then. But I feel like we need some joy today. And so I want you to walk away today with a different attitude about Christmas. But I want you to walk away with an attitude. So I'm giving you permission to have an attitude. Is that okay? I'm giving you permission to have an attitude. In 1957, uh, Random House published a book called Dr. Seuss. This book ended up becoming an animated series called The Grinch That Stole Christmas. How many of you have seen that movie? Yeah, raise your hand. You've seen that movie? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that movie. Yeah, I, I was scared of Dr. Seuss when I was a kid. And I, I, maybe there's still some fear in there. I'm, I'm going to go back through freedom and deal with that. But, but, but the Grinch that stole Christmas, and it's this story about this Grinch that's trying to steal these presents from underneath these trees to steal the spirit of Christmas away from the people. You know the story, right? But it, but it has some, some spiritual side to it. It has some, some spiritual understanding or significance to it because we all have a Grinch who's trying to steal things from us. He's not trying to necessarily steal your Christmas presents, but he is trying to steal your joy. Amen? In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said it this way. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see the difference there? Jesus wants to give, but the enemy wants to take. 
Come on. We follow Jesus because he gives, right? He gives us eternal life. He gives us all of his blessings. He gives us all of his wonderful gifts, right? But the enemy's trying to pull them and steal them from us. His purpose is to take. Jesus' purpose is to give. Just felt like I needed to nail that down this morning. Because Jesus wants us to have joy today. His purpose is your joy. The reason I'm saying this is because some of you believe the lie that you don't deserve joy. Some of you believe the lie that your disappointment is so great that you can't have joy. Some of you are uncomfortable to have joy because of everything that you're going through. Thinking that somehow what I'm going through needs to dictate how much joy I can actually have or not have. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus' purpose is to give you joy. You're going to take it? You're going to get you some? It's yours. Got your name on it? What you going to do with it? But, but, but there's no buts. It's just, are you going to take it? The thief's not trying to steal your presence under the tree. He wants to steal the presence that hung on a tree. He's here to take and rob you of the presence of Jesus because the presence of Jesus is what brings us joy. It's what brings us hope. It's what brings us peace. I know where my source is. I know when I'm hungry I know when I'm lacking, I know when there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no hope in myself. Anybody get fashed every now and then? Anybody get a little frustrated, a little depressed? Come on. You get a little down and out every now and then? Where's your source of joy? It's not in your phone, baby. It's in the presence of Jesus. And what the enemy's doing to the church today is he's keeping us from the presence of Jesus. With too many other distractions, too many other things that attempt to bring us joy, peace, and hope, but never do. It's found in the presence of Jesus. When I'm down and out, all I know I need to do is be still before the Lord and worship him, and all of a sudden, here it comes. The presence of Jesus comes, here comes hope. Here comes joy. He flips my situation. Come on. So why does the enemy want to steal your joy? Is he just mad because you have joy and he just doesn't want you to have joy? Is that the issue? Is that why he's after your joy? Can I tell you that there's a greater purpose behind him stealing your joy? Nehemiah said it this way. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm. So he's not after your joy. What he's really after is your strength. Oh, you got to get this today. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not your weakness. It's your strength. And the enemy is after your strength. He wants you weak. He wants you vulnerable. He wants you down and out. Because Satan knows if you possess God's joy, you possess God's strength. Can you laugh at your problems? 
Can you laugh at your situation? Mm -hmm. He's after your strength. You know, today more than ever, thieves are being caught on home cameras, right? I mean, you can, go on, you can go on social media, you can go on YouTube, you can put in thief caught on home camera, a home security system, and you'll get a ton of videos that show idiots trying to steal something and they're caught on camera. Even in Eunice, in the, on the Eunice Community Watch Facebook page, they occasionally post pictures. Anybody know this sucker? He was trying to break into my truck last night. Right? And so what's happening is, is that people are aware that there's more thieves out there, so they're starting to do things to prevent it, and they're bringing a greater awareness, which should start to decrease the amount of theft that goes on in the city, right? I'm trying to bring some awareness to you today. The enemy's after your joy. He's after your strength. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. He's after your strength. I know this to be true that whatever God gives me, I need to protect it. I need to fight to hang on to it. I don't need to hang on to it loosely. Come on, somebody. It's one thing to have joy. It's another thing to keep it. So let me give you this morning a couple of ways that the enemy tries to cancel your joy, and then I'm going to finish up with a couple of things we can do to hang on to our joy. And so the first one is this. The enemy wants to cancel your joy by getting you to compare yourself with others. He tries to use comparison. Anybody get caught up in the comparison trap? Come on, be honest. You're in church this morning. You're on social media. Your friends is at the beach. And you can't even get to Lake Arthur. And you frustrated. Joy done left the building. Everybody else gets to go to the beach. And I, got, I can't even go to Lake Arthur. You can't even get to the place up here in North Town with a makeshift beach. You're mad, right? It's a comparison thing. Proverbs 14.30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. You know, one of the greatest driving, um, the greatest things that are driving depression and, 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 and this kind of, and comparison is social media. Yeah. Yep, social media. It, it's a beast, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. It really is. It's not the only issue we have, though. Because the issue lies not in social media. The issue lies deep within our heart and our understanding. Right? So we can blame social media all we want to, but at the end of the day, you, you have to have the ability to be on social media and not compare. Right? When the dust settles, you have to guard your own heart and refuse to compare your life with somebody else's because here's the truth. Nobody posts the ugliness of their life. They post the beauty of their life. You want to know the ugliest of somebody's life? Get to know somebody. They putting stuff on Facebook, you're like, yeah, but I know the backstory. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can put a filter on that face all you want to. I sent you without makeup. <laughs> yeah. Somebody gets a new car, you get jealous. Somebody gets married and you're not married, you get jealous. 
You get caught in the comparison trap and you start to, you start to look down on yourself and you start to think bad about yourself. And, and all you've done is you've opened up the door for the enemy to come in and begin to operate in your life. It's a trap. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a trap. The same grass that's on this side of the fence is on the other side of the fence. It all chews the same. It all tastes the same. There's a, there's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. It's a movie. I would encourage you to watch it. It, it opened my eyes to what goes on on the backside of social media, on the dark side of it all. Uh, and in doing the, the, the movie, they, they researched and discovered some things that are pretty phenomenal. Our child's suicide rate has jumped by 150% over the last decade. By 2018, it was the second leading cause of death in the U.S. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about teens and preteens killing themselves. Why? Because somehow or another they don't feel like they measure up. My kids didn't have social media when they were young, but they still fought those comparison demons. They still fought different kinds of issues. And we were parents that spoke life into them. We told them who they were going to be, not how bad they are, right? And we built them up as much as we can, but they all fought with something. I can't even imagine people who don't have Jesus at home and these poor little kids get the right to all this stuff and then they, they just get exposed to it and then it just comes up and they don't have anybody to talk to. Nobody's breathing life into them. You don't talk about lose your joy. But it happens in adults also. We might not take our life, but we may quit living. Right? We may give up. Well, I can't measure up to everybody else, so I'm just going to give up. David fought this. <laughs> so did Saul. David comes onto the scene, he kills the giant, everybody starts recognizing David, David works for Saul now, he's Saul's new young leader, David goes to war, God gives him victory in the masses, they come marching back into town, listen to what the Bible says, this was their song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, this made Saul very angry, what's this, he said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. They didn't say David was going to be king. They didn't say Saul was a piece of dirt. They didn't say Saul was useless. They were just celebrating the young guy who gave them victory right? But because there was something in Saul's heart that wasn't right, it wasn't settled, it wasn't in a good place, when somebody else got a little bit of victory, he got a whole lot of damage. And instead of celebrating his young protege, he kept a jealous eye on him from here on out. And David, who could have been his greatest blessing, became his enemy in a moment. You see, comparison will get you, get you out of your good spot into a bad spot quick. Amen? So there's no win in comparison. 
And by the way, one of the ways to kill comparison is to celebrate other people. We should celebrate other people. I'm not the best preacher in town. I'll struggle with that. They got a, a young guy across town came into town. Everybody's ranting and raving about him. I had to fight the comparison trap. I would, I would think thoughts like, yeah, but I could beat him up. I could pick him up and body slam him if I could catch him. But something had to change in my heart because if I allowed that comparison thing to stay there, it would have destroyed the purpose of my life. And it would have definitely taken my joy. So you know what I did? I started celebrating him. You know what happened? His, some of his people are over here working on our building. They're painting our building. They go, yeah, man, I go to, you know, I go to that church over there. I'm like, bro, I love that guy. Dude's awesome, man. He's awesome. I celebrate him. Why? Because I don't want that comparison thing to rise up inside of me. Amen? Second thing that will, that will try to cancel your joy is complaining. I know nobody in this church complains. And y'all never complain about me. Right? Uh-oh. I didn't get as many amens. I set myself up bad on that one. I thought I was going to be like, amen. <laughs> okay. Listen to what James says. James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. This is what makes us different than the world. Our God says when trouble comes, don't complain, count it great joy. It's what makes us different. But how, how are most of us raised? When something goes wrong, you fuss, you gripe, you moan, you complain. Anybody grew up in a complaining house? If you're here with your parents, don't raise your hand. They might get offended. Anybody complain? You should all raise your hands. So what makes us different, though? So let's, so let's unpack that for just a second. Why, why would James say, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy? Like, that don't even make sense, right? It's weird. Like, troubles, problems, joy? Huh? Watch this. When troubles come and problems come, it is an opportunity for great joy because it's an opportunity to discover who God is more than if you would have never gone through the trouble or the problem before. You'll never know that he's a healer unless you're sick. Amen. You'll never know that he can, he can encourage you unless you're discouraged. Right? You'll never know he can deliver you until you're in a position that you require deliverance. Amen? So I don't go looking for problems. He said, count a great joy when they come to you. So don't go looking for problems. Say, oh, I'm going to find God in my problem. No. Don't, you don't need to do that. They're coming. But when they come, consider it great joy because you get an opportunity to experience God like you never would have if it wouldn't be for the problems. Isn't that good? Consider it great joy. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, this year's verse for me, says this at the beginning. It says, it says uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Tell God what you need, and then he'll, he'll give you peace, right? So, so how do you thank him for something if you've never walked through something with him? 
You're all going to walk through something. It's an opportunity to open your eyes and experience God and to see how he moves and how he works. It's an opportunity, watch this, for great joy, James says. Now, it might not be joyful in the moment. And the last thing I want any of you to do is to fake it all the way through. Because I hate that. Everybody in their mama knows you're struggling. You're like, praise the Lord. I'm not asking you to do that. That's weird. If it hurts, say it hurts. If it's got you all messed up, then you're all messed up, right? But there's great joy coming. There's great joy coming when you, when you start to unpack and realize God is walking with me through this. It was Miss Stacy's story. That's what I told Miss Stacy yesterday. I said, listen to me, I know all this is bringing up all the emotions from the past. I said, but listen to me, it is the Holy Spirit doing that inside of you. And he's doing it because it needs to come out. Right? Paul, of anybody, had a, a good reason to complain. Paul had a good reason to gripe. A good reason to be in a bad mood. Paul was in prison most of his ministry life. Think about it. Jesus delivers you from religion, gives you this incredible moment with him, and you get all this stuff downloaded into you, and then you get stuck in prison. During his darkest hour in the, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes these words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That came in his darkest moment. In fact, in the book of Philippians, he uses the word joy 18 times. Count it. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says it again. Rejoice. It's funny, the most joyous book in the Bible came out of one of the darkest, most painful places for Paul. There has to be something that happens inside of every one of us. That when we connect with Jesus, there has to be this growth that happens. That we go from letting our circumstances dictate our attitude or how we feel to letting our, uh, how we are with God and our relationship with him dictate how we walk through trouble. Does that make sense? Too many of us, because we're disconnected with Jesus, we walk through things and those things get to determine who we are and how we are. No. Our relationship with Jesus dictates how we walk through the troubles and the trials. Amen? So what I used to freak out about, I should eventually stop freaking out about that. Why? Because Jesus walked with me through that once before. Come on, you, you got to get this this morning. You might have freaked out the first time, but the fifth time, there needs to be some maturity in your life. If you're still crying over the same old spilled milk... I'm just trying to get you to understand your connection with Jesus is what walks you through and there should be a maturity, there should be a growth. The third thing that can, that can uh, cancel your joy is unconfessed sin. Get you some of that. Unconfessed sin. Oh, y'all one of them churches. Y'all talk about sin. 
Yep, we talk about sin. Because unconfessed sin is killing us. Unconfessed sin can cancel your joy. Psalms 32 says this. Listen to these words. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Wow. What joy for those whose record's been cleared. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Go back to the first sentence. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. The only problem with sin is when it's left unconfessed. Let me let you in on something. God knew you were going to sin. He saw it coming. How do you know that, Pastor? Because he made a way to get out of it. Unconfessed sin is killing us. Because we think that by some reason, if if we keep it hidden, it'll go away. I'll sleep it off. I'll outlive it. Nope. It just packs with you. And it goes wherever you go. Unconfessed. The Bible says we need to confess sin two ways. The first way is we need to confess sin to Jesus. And when we do, the Bible says Jesus is faithful to forgive us and then to cleanse us of all that unrighteousness, right? So we confess sin to Jesus. Then he says we need to confess sin to one another. Not everybody, but to one another. (laughs) That means somebody like you. Just, just had to be clear, okay? Some people just, you might get, anyway. We confess it, watch this. He says you confess your sins one to another so that you can pray for one another and be healed. Unconfessed sin. Sometimes you have habitual sin. It's sin that you just keep falling into. Sin that you could keep deciding to walk into. Sometimes there's secret sin, and then there's always this unconfessed sin. And nothing steals your joy more than unconfessed sin. And when you don't confess it, or the longer it takes you to confess it, the longer you walk in guilt and shame. That wasn't in the brochure, was it? Guilt is, a sin, is the sense that I've done something wrong, but shame is the sense that I am wrong. How long do you want to live in that? The very presence that Adam and Eve wanted to stay in was the very presence they eventually found themselves hiding from. Right? They sinned and didn't know what to do with their sin, so they went into hiding. How many of you like were, like were good at hide and seek when you were a kid? Come on, like you were the best. Let me give you a warning. Don't play hide and seek with God. He's good. Like he is the best. This is what blows my mind every morning when I wake up is that he knows 
my evil. He knows my sin. He knows my filth. He knows every single thing about Jamie. He knows my thoughts, and that scares the mess out of me. Yet he still loves me. He still loves me. He knows the dirtiest dirt on me, and he still loves me. You know why that messes me up? Because it goes against the grain that I was raised in, that you have to hide and you have to protect and you have to keep this facade and you have to make sure everything looks good on the outside when it's dying on the inside like a cancer in your bones, right? But with Jesus, he makes a way for us to just come to him, to give him our sin. It's not something that should destroy us. Amen? Hebrews 4.13 says it this way, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. <laughs> Y'all naked and exposed to God. Thank God. <laughs> right? He sees everything. I had this thought last night that I can almost gauge how much I trust God by how quickly I go to him when I sin. I learned that the hard way. Because I've, I've had habitual sin, I've had secret sin, I've had unconfessed sin in my life, and I, and I learned something that, that the longer I stay with that the more damage the enemy does inside of me, the more miserable I am, and eventually the people around me become miserable. Come on. And finally, I had enough because I learned that once I, once I confess and repent and turn from that, that, man, it's all good, right? So that means I can get up quicker. When I get up quicker, I'm saying to God, I trust you. I trust you're not bringing the hammer this time. So I don't want shame and guilt to be my companion. Amen? I want joy to be my companion. I want to keep my conscience clear. I want to live an honest life. Am I going to be perfect? No, I'm in the process of being perfected. But I'm not perfect. But when I get down, I want to get back up. So let me give you three ways to protect your joy. And I'm going to wrap it up. The first one is connection is your, is your key. Connection is your key. You have to stay connected to Jesus. In fact, Jesus, Jesus described it this way in John 15, 5 and 11. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am them will produce how much fruit? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Your joy overflows when you stay connected to Jesus. The enemy is trying to disconnect you. Unconfessed sin disconnects you. Comparison disconnects you. Complaining disconnects you. We fight to reconnect. Amen? And this is what I've learned. He's always poised and ready to reconnect. He's always waiting on me. I've never found myself waiting on him. You see it? Connection is your key. 
fight to stay connected to Jesus. I had a, I had a moment this week. I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And, and sometimes my relationship with Jesus gets pulled in different directions. And sometimes, if I'm not careful, my relationship with Jesus becomes what I do in ministry. And I get away from my personal connection with Jesus, like being, just being a Christian. Sometimes I relate to him only through being a pastor. And so I was sitting down to try and have a quiet time, and I just wasn't connecting with him. Like I was reading the words, but nothing was sticking. It was just like, it was like, ah, what's wrong? And finally it dawned on me, be still. Cole said this last week, be still and know that I am God. And so I closed my Bible and I put on some music and I sat and I quieted my soul. Why? Because my soul was thirsty. It was hungry for connection with God. And when I did, I, I, I heard his voice better. We had a good conversation. I said, man, I like this. He goes, yeah, I like it too. I'm glad you quieted yourself enough to be. <laughs> yeah, me too. It was good. Psalms 4, 7 says this, you have put more joy in my heart than, when, than they have when their grain and their wine abound. <laughs> you put more joy in my heart than even on my best successful day. Right? Like, God will put more joy in your heart than your greatest moment on this earth. Isn't that good? How many of you remember that old, that old children's church song, that Sunday school song? I got the joy, 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 joy. Where is that? Down in my heart. Down in my, come on, sing with me. Down in my heart, I got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Tell me we don't brainwash kids on purpose. Why we forget about it when we're adults? Joy is in your heart. It's not an external thing. It's found in your heart. Amen? I don't, I don't always find joy in my job. I don't always find joy in every relationship. I don't always find joy in things. Sometimes things will give you joy, but it's only momentary. Right? I can't connect and tie my joy into things that, and even other people. Sometimes we connect our joy to other people and we expect them to be our source of joy. It's not going to work. Jesus is my source of joy. The second one is this worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. But before you, you just kind of click out on that one and say, well, yeah, I know what worship is. I want to I just encourage you to stay with me for just a minute because I'm, I'm going to show you a different side of worship that maybe you don't see. Look at what Psalm 1611 says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Joy is not, I mean, worship is not singing songs. Worship is not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is, with, is when I, at any moment, express God's worth back to him, that's worship. 
there's going to be a lot of music during the Christmas celebration, right? A lot of your secular artists are coming out with Christmas songs. Uh, Carrie Underwood has a new song, pretty cool song. You know, that's, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a great song. It don't bring me no closer to Jesus. When worship becomes a weapon is when it becomes less about you and more about how good he is. That's when worship is a weapon. You know why? Because it kills some things inside of us. Because when you start to express his worth, you start to realize my worth only comes from his worth. Right? And it only comes from connecting to him. And you start to understand that I must fight for connection. And you need to be aware that the enemy's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. All day long, he's trying to disconnect you. Do you realize in the moment of complaining, you can repent? In the moment of complaining, you can break the enemy's stronghold? I've complained a few times and stopped myself dead in him. I'm like, sorry about that. Why? I didn't want to lose my connection because I didn't want to lose my joy because I didn't want to lose my strength. Come on, somebody. Worship is a weapon. Sometimes we think that Bible reading and prayer is the spiritual disciplines only that we need. I'll dare to say this morning that it's Bible reading, it's prayer, and it's worship. Constantly expressing his worth over mine. Listen to what happened to the guys when they, when, they, when they found out that Jesus was getting ready to be born. Matthew chapter 2. It says, when they saw the star, I think this was the shepherds. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You ever wonder why they gave a baby gifts? Because real worship will empty you of all your treasure. It'll make you give your treasure. Remember, the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's why we should never put people in a headlock to be generous. They should be in such a relationship with Jesus that they are generous. That generosity comes out of that, right? What did they do? They bowed at his, at his, at his manger and, and they gave their treasure. That's worship, man. It was an expression of Jesus' worth. You see it? But this is what happens when you come into the presence of Jesus. You might not sing, but you should worship. The last one is this, and I'll wrap it up. Joy is under your jurisdiction. (laughs) Joy is under your jurisdiction. He's already given it to you. Remember that first verse I read? I come with good news that will bring great joy to all people. Did Jesus come? 
Has he come? Come on, answer me. Yes, he's come. Did joy come? Yes, joy has come. Is joy yours? Yes, joy is yours. It's under your jurisdiction. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to defend it. You're going to have to protect it. Sometimes in my house, I have to defend the joy in the house. Come on. Sometimes my wife has to defend the joy in my house whenever I'm coming in trying to wreck it all. You see what I'm saying? There needs to be something inside of us that says, I'm not letting him take my joy. It needs to go from God's joy to my joy. It's mine. He gave it to me. It's a precious gift. It's where my strength is found. I'm not going to surrender it easy. Kay Warren said this. She said, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Isn't that good? Let me wrap it up with Habakkuk. Habakkuk said this in chapter 3. He says, even though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on its vines, the produce of the olive fall or fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God the Lord who is my strength. There has to be a holy a holy just stance inside of us that says, I refuse to let outside circumstances steal my joy. I refuse to let internal things in me destroy or take away my joy. If joy is your strength, then what happens when you have no joy? You have no strength. You're found with weakness. Amen? Is there anyone getting baptized during this service? Raise your hand. Do you know anyone in here, Lisa? No? Okay. All right. Come on, Anna. Let me pray over you this morning. I refuse to let comparison steal my joy. I refuse to let complaining steal my joy and I refuse to live with unconfessed sin I realize today that connection is my key worship is my weapon and joy is in my jurisdiction no matter what's going on in our country no matter whatever we've been through this year, God still remains the same. His joy has come. And we've received it. But somewhere along the way, we've let things take it. We've let people take it. We've given it over too easily. Lord, I pray today 
thank you that our joy is not canceled. They can cancel everything around us, but they cannot cancel our joy. We can rejoice in every situation. We can count it joy when troubles and problems come our way because they give us an opportunity to experience joy. You've given us joy. I pray, God, that today we fight to keep it. That there's a holy refusal inside of us that says, I'm not giving up without a fight. I'm not giving up without taking a stand. I'm not giving up as easy as I used to. I thank you, God. And I bless you for this moment today. And I worship you. You're mighty and you're strong and you're faithful. You make a way for us to deal with sin. We don't have to stay in it long. You give us victory over sin. The power of sin has been broken off of us. So we don't have to do it anymore. Thank you. Thank you that you're the source of joy and hope and peace and life. Thank you, Lord. I worship you and I bless you in this moment. Jesus' name.